This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, New Life. How are you guys doing today? Good. You look good. You look good. It's good to be here with you today. My name is Kevin, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'll be guiding us through the rest of our time together this morning. If you're a guest with us today, I just want to give you an extra special welcome. We are so glad that you chose to be here with us because we know that there are a thousand other things you could do today, a thousand other places you could be, and you chose to come here to experience something new, to explore the realities of God, and man, we love that. We want you to make yourselves at home. We don't have any pretense. We don't have a whole lot of of insider-outsider stuff. We want you to feel totally in because this community was created for you. For you to come in, explore the realities of God, to open yourself up to what God might want to do in your life, and to experience Him. And so, a few things to help you if you're brand new with us today, and also for all of us, just a reminder for us, a few things to help you on the journey. When you came in, you got this program. Inside of it, you have a card that says, Start Here. It's our connection card. It helps us connect with you. It will help you connect with each other if you want to. Ultimately, our goal as a church is to help you connect with God, and so this helps us help you connect with God because we can pray for you when you put prayer requests on here. We can get you involved in things if you want to, if you mark that off. Uh, And we just want to be here to serve you. So we ask everyone each week to fill out this card. And if you're a guest with us, to give us as much information as you're comfortable with. We won't hound you. We won't bug you. We just want to be a resource for you to help you connect with God. So go ahead and do that. We're actually going to be using these a little bit later. So everyone's going to want to get those filled out. The other thing you're going to want to grab are these teaching notes because we have a ton to go through. We're actually going to do a little bit of work in the middle of the service on the back of it, so everyone's going to want to have your teaching notes. If you don't have it, you can grab a program in the back, um, but you're definitely going to want to use those. And then I would encourage you to take that home and look at it throughout the week because I'm going to ask you to do some stuff with it that just having those notes present will be really helpful for you. So we are rounding the corner in our last few weeks of this series that we're calling Not a Fan. And if you've missed us for the last couple weeks, uh, basically what we're doing is we're looking at what it means to be a, a fan of Jesus or a fan of the church, which basically, if you boiled it down, would say, I'm an enthusiastic admirer. I, I like some of the things Jesus says. I, you know that whole, like, love your neighbor thing? I like that. That's a good thing. Um, I, I know the songs to sing, maybe. I was raised in the church, and I had this casual acquaintance with God and with the church. Uh, but I'm not really engaging with him fully. And we're contrasting that with being a follower, someone who, when Jesus says go, we just go. When he says, I want you to do this thing or try this thing with me, we say, okay, God, I'm in. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's scary, even if it takes us out of our comfort zones, because we believe as a community that following after Jesus, while it's not always the simplest way to live, We believe it's always the best way to live. We believe it's where a life of abundance is found, where you find purpose. We believe you'll find um, uh, uh, healing in that. We believe that you will experience a depth of relationship with God that at, at our core that we all want, even if you don't fully recognize that you want it right now. We believe that there's something in each of us that is longing to know the one who created us. And we believe that in following after Christ, that's where it happens. So that's what we've been exploring, and today we're talking about something that I know you'll be excited about. We're talking about rules. Rules. Who doesn't get excited about rules? Yeah, see, she does. That's fantastic. I'm going to say something that some of you aren't going to agree with at first, but I think as we tease it out a little bit, you might actually come to agree with me. We all, or at least 95% of us, we all like rules. Some of you are saying, no, I do not like rules. 
The fact that you're making me sit down right now instead of standing up, I'm getting a little bit angry inside. (laughs) Here's what I would say to you. You do like rules. Some of us just like rules for other people, but we all like rules. That's why when you're driving and someone texts you and and you know it's against the law, you think, well, I'm just going to, I'll do a quick peek at my text and, oh yeah, I can respond quickly to them. So you're driving and you're looking, you're not looking down, you're just kind of doing it quietly and swerving, but no one needs to know. You don't like rules for you, but if you ever see someone else who's swerving in front of you and you see that they're texting, your blood boils. And all you want is a police officer to be there, right? Because we all like rules for other people. We all like rules. That's why we love having kids, because we can set all kinds of rules, right? Be kind to your sister. Be kind to your brother. Put the toilet seat down. Listen, some of us guys, we don't even do that, but we like it when our kids do it because we have to help out mom. We're a united front. We're a team. We like rules rules. Because we believe at our core that there's something about rules that helps govern us, that that helps set the right trajectory. We believe at our core that rules, they're kind of like this river bank that gives us the, the barriers and the edges with which to swim in our life. And there's something comforting about that. Even if we're not following the rules, it's nice to know that there are rules because you can imagine a society where there were no rules. The Bible says there was a time when there were no laws, there were no rules. Every man just did what was right in his own mind, and it was anarchy. So whether you like rules for yourself or you like rules for other people, we all like rules. We all, we all like rules. And I want to give you some good news. The Bible is full of rules. And I know you're very excited about this because you like rules. The Bible's full of rules full of them. I mean, my gosh, if you read it, you're just like, oh wow, look at all these rules. I'm so excited because I get to, I get to do all these things and follow all these rules. I know you're like me. We get very excited about this. We kind of geek out over it because we love the rules. The rules are so exciting. Um, But I want to say something right now that is the underpinning for everything we're going to talk about today. The Bible is full of rules. And if you were raised in the church, um, right now you're just thinking, why am I here today? I don't want to talk about this. There's an underpinning that I think we miss a lot of the time. See, God gives us rules in the context of a relationship with him. Think about it like a family. God says, when you come to follow after me, you're part of my family. And just like any loving parent in a loving family, in a healthy family, I have rules that are for your benefit. That's why when uh, my kids started walking, we made rules. You do not run into the street. Now, our, our two-year-old daughter, when she started walking, she didn't, she didn't realize that running into this—she started walking earlier than that. My child's not that <laughs> developmentally slow. Um, but when she would run into the street, she wouldn't understand why I would stop her and why I would discipline her. But now that she's older, now that she's five years old, she understands. Cars come flying on the street all the time. I set that rule because I'm a loving dad, and I want her life to be a life of abundance. I want it to, to last and to be long. And that's what God does. God sets up rules. He says, I have some family rules, some family guidelines that serve as the riverbanks that help you swim in the stream of the life that I have for you. And so what I want you to do is to follow these rules, not to get into the family— I want you to follow these rules because you are in the family, because you're part of the family. But here's the tension about the rules, and this is the tension that you feel when I say we're going to talk about rules today. Throughout history and in our time today, we have two major issues. Either people try to keep the rules and they forget about God. We just try to live good moral lives, or maybe we even try to live God-honoring lives, but we take God out of the equation. Or we use the rules to try to earn our relationship with God. And this was an incredible tension in the time that Jesus walked. 
there were uh, three major groups that had their own spin on how to keep the rules, how to follow the rules, how to be with God. And each of them had some benefits, but each of them also had some incredible downsides. So what we're going to do is do a brief look at these three different groups because— a lot of churches, and and I don't mean anything bad by this, but a lot of churches accidentally fall into one of these three categories. So if you were raised in the church, you might have had this type of experience, and I just want you to sit and listen to these three groups that were alive and well 2,000 years ago in Jesus' day and say, have I accidentally fallen into this type of category when it comes to rules? Because none of these three groups actually experienced God the way that they were created to. So here, here are the three groups. The first group was called the Pharisees. And if you've read through the Gospels, you know about the Pharisees. Jesus always has this tension with them. Their core belief was that if they kept God's law well enough, then they could earn God's favor. They thought that the nation had walked away from God, but if they could just do everything God said to do in the Bible, they could somehow earn God's favor. God would somehow be present with them. So they memorized all the laws of the Old Testament, and then they went further than that. They were like super law keepers. They made their own rules on top of the rules of the Bible. So for example, God says in the Old Testament, I want you to have a day of rest a day of restoring yourself. He calls it the Sabbath. It's a day where we uniquely connect with God, where we uh, uniquely connect with our family, where we have some things that just restore us and refresh us for the coming week. God said he wanted us to do that. Well, the Pharisees would say, well, what is work exactly? I mean, can we define work? So they'd sit around in these, these groups and they'd say, well, if you're sitting on your front porch on the Sabbath and someone's walking down the street and they fall and you go to help them up, is that work? This is a major issue. Well, some would say, well, let's, let's figure this out a little more. Did they fall and break their leg? I mean, if they broke their leg and they could, like, bleed out, well, then no, you should go help them. That's not work. But if they fell and just scraped their knee and they weren't ultimately going to die, then, yeah, that might be work because you wouldn't help them. You wouldn't pick them up. So they had all these rules around the Bible, and they, they made God's law become this really hard thing to follow, and no one could really figure it out. Their job description in their own minds was to keep God's law perfectly, and then to walk around and tell everyone else how to keep God's law perfectly. Maybe you were raised in a community like this. The goal is to keep God's law, to tell other people how to do it perfectly, but there was a problem. They couldn't keep God's law perfectly, and no one else could either. Because there was this internal thing going on inside of them and going on inside of us that the Bible calls sin. They were trying to do all the right things on the outside, but they hadn't dealt with this issue of sin on the inside. Paul actually talks about this issue uh, in Romans chapter 7 of sin. He says this in verse 20 of Romans 7. He says, Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me. So I find this law at work. This is God's law. Although I want to do good, that's God's law, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, inside of me, I like God's law. We know ultimately that God, what he says, it's for our good. I like God's law. But I see another work, another law at work inside of me, and it's waging war against the law of my mind. And it's making me a prisoner to sin. And then he goes on in verse 24 to say this, and maybe you've felt this if you've tried to keep God's law perfectly apart from God. He says, I'm a wretched man. Have you ever felt that? Where you're just trying and trying to follow God, and at the end you feel like you can't do it, and you just feel, I'm just a wretched, wretched man. He asked this question, who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? And that was the issue that people who tried to follow the Pharisees' laws felt. They couldn't keep it perfectly because they were trying to do all the right things on the outside, but they didn't know how to deal with the issue of sin on the inside. And so it left this gap between what God said to do and what they could do. And they never acknowledged the gap. They just tried to pretend that there was no gap. And so they became hypocrites. 
They said all these things about God. This is what it means to follow God and be with God, but they couldn't actually do it. They became hypocrites, and and they formed um, what we would call today a legalistic worshiping community, where it was all about keeping certain laws and doing certain things. And if you kept the laws, you could be in the church. And if you didn't keep the laws, you were outside of the church. And maybe some of us were raised in a church like that, where it's all about keeping the rules, keeping the laws, and you've got all the laws of the Bible, but then there's all these other laws on top of it, and you just can't keep it. And in the end, the people just felt disconnected from God, and they wanted to walk away from God, because if God's all about all these laws that we can't keep anyway, what's the point in following? So that's the first group. The second group, they tried a different approach. They were called the Herodians. The Herodians had one foot in the Jewish world and another foot in the secular world, in the Roman world, because the Romans were the leading superpower, and they tried to blend following God with following the world. They said, well, if the Romans are in charge and we buddy up with the Romans, even though the Romans don't believe in the one true God, even though the Romans have this whole different way of being, if we can live with the Romans and be part of the Roman world and sprinkle a little God on top, then we'll experience the abundant life that God has for us. The problem is they never fully committed to either world. And last week we talked a lot about this. We said we cannot partially live in, in the world of our own creation and partially live with God. We will become dissatisfied with both because we're not fully experiencing God and we're not fully satisfying the things that we want to do. And it's a tension we live in. The Herodians were kind of like lukewarm pizza. I, I love day-old pizza that's in the refrigerator that's cold. I like cold pizza. Does anybody else like cold pizza? Yeah, I like cold pizza. My wife— She loves reheating the pizza. She likes hot pizza. So she likes to heat it up, get the cheese all bubbly, the meat and everything all hot. She loves hot pizza. I love cold. She loves hot. Opposites attract. (laughs) But I can tell you this. Neither of us like lukewarm pizza, where the cheese is kind of warm but kind of coagulated, and the vegetables are kind of limp and warm. No one likes lukewarm pizza. And this is how the Herodians were. They were kind of like lukewarm followers. They were kind of in the Roman world. They were kind of in the following God world, but they weren't fully in either one. And here was the danger for them, is they got to the end of their lives, and they thought they had been following after God, but they never experienced the life that God wanted for them. And so they became angry and bitter at God, and they said, God has failed me. I tried this whole church thing. I went there. I sang the songs. I took the rules that I liked and the laws that I liked, and I kept those, and I kind of discarded the ones I didn't like, and God failed me. But the truth is, they didn't actually follow after God. And God knows how damaging this is. So in uh, the book of Revelations, in the very last book of the Bible, God talks about being lukewarm, and he's talking to a church. He's talking to a group like the Herodians, and he says this. He says, I know your deeds. You're neither hot or cold. You're like lukewarm pizza. I wish you were either one— or the other. But because you're lukewarm, you're not, you're not hot. You, you don't love me completely enough to follow, and you're not cold. You haven't rejected me. Because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now think about that. God's talking to a church, a group of people who are kind of in the world and kind of following God, and he says, I, I, you can't live this way. You will fail and you will think it's my fault. And because of that, I just, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. It's a tragic thing. But some of us grew up in churches like that, where, where people kept the laws they wanted to, and they didn't keep the ones that they didn't really want. And we saw this as kids, and we thought, is that what it means to be a, an adult Christian? You just kind of sort of do what you kind of sort of want to do, and you keep the things you like, and you sprinkle a little Jesus on top of your already pretty good life and hope that it gets pretty gooder. I mean, is that, is that the point of Christianity? And the people— became disillusioned, and they walked away from God. So the Pharisees couldn't do it, trying to keep the law completely while living in the Roman world. 
The Herodians couldn't do it by trying to be partially in the Roman world and partially in their world. But there was a third group, and they were even stronger. They were the Essenes. And the Essenes believed that the only way that they could truly keep God's law was to separate themselves from the world around them. They were basically, they said, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. We need to huddle in. We need to be this really tight, closed-off community that no one else gets into because if anyone else gets to be with us, they're going to pollute us. And we can't keep God's law perfectly if we're polluted by the outside world. So, for example, they had an initiation process that was three years long. So you imagine— You come to the Essenes, and you say, I want to be part of your group. And they said, great, you can be part of our group. It's a three-year process. For the first year, you're not allowed to be in our group at all. You have to be on the outside watching. The second year, you get to kind of come into the group. And then the third year, if you're really serious, then you can join. Could you imagine coming to New Life for the first time and saying, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm looking to explore my faith. I'm trying to connect with God. And we said, great, we would love to have you. Here's the application. It's a three-year process. If you're still down for us in 2016, come on back. There were two major problems with the Essenes. One was they had the same mistaken belief that the Pharisees had. They thought that the problem was external, but there was that internal sin thing going on. So even if they closed themselves off from the world outside, they still had this sin on the inside that was causing them to not be able to keep God's law. And the second thing was this. They forfeited their God-given calling. See, the Jewish people were called to be uh, the people who showed the rest of the world what it really looked like to follow after God. And the moment that they separated from the rest of the world, they forfeited the right to be able to show their neighbors and their co-workers and their friends what it meant to follow after God. And so they were missing it. And these are the three major religious groups. If you were walking in Jesus' day, these are kind of your three main options. Either try to keep the law perfectly— Or be kind of lukewarm halfway in the Roman world and halfway in the the Jewish world and the God world. Or completely separate yourself out. And the outcome for all of the people was they felt disconnected from God. They felt discouraged from God because they could not keep God's law perfectly. They could not keep the rules, even though they knew that the rules were good for them. And this is the world that Jesus walked into. And he walked right up to a group of people who were honestly, seriously trying to follow after God, who were feeling burdened and depressed and frustrated and who were ready to give up. And maybe some of us are here today, and we're right there. We've been trying to follow God, but it doesn't seem to be working. And we feel frustrated, and and we feel like it's becoming a burden. And last week, I, I held up some mirrors into our lives, and I said, this is what the world says. This is what God says. And following God is uncomfortable, but sometimes we have to say, I'm not going to do what the world says because it's lying to me. I'm going to do what God says. And some of us are here today, and we're thinking, man, that just seems like more rules that I can't keep. Well, I want to tell you, Jesus walked up to people just like you, and just like me, and he gave them a fourth way. And this is what he said to the people. He walks up to this group in Matthew 11, and he says this. He says, come to rules. Sorry, my notes must be wrong. Okay, look, I'm on the screen. Oh, that's right. He says, come to me. Come to me. He doesn't say come to rules. He knows all the rules. He knows God's law perfectly. But he doesn't say follow the rules. He says, come to me. If you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke 
upon you. That's his teaching. Those are the rules. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. And here's the promise. You will find rest for your souls. How many of us were raised with rules and it seemed like anything but restful to our souls? If anything, it tormented our souls because we knew what we should do and we knew what we were doing. And it just didn't line up. But Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 30, because my yoke, that's his teaching, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm having the best time right now with my daughter. She's in kindergarten. She's got an incredible kindergarten teacher who happens to be part of our church. I can give recommendations. And she's learning how to read right now, which is so fun. I come home and she, she, she runs up to me and she says, Daddy, Daddy, would you teach me how to read? And so I say, yeah, we grab a book together and I sit down on the sofa and she runs up to me and she curls up in my lap. And we begin to read the book. And I'll read the story to her, pointing to the words. And then she's got some words that she's memorizing. So when we get to one of her words that she's memorizing, I point to it, and and she says it. And then we get to some words that she can sound out, and she tries sounding it out, and I help her. And my daughter's learning how to read. And it's this joy for us. Every day, she runs up, and she sits on my lap. She says, Daddy, Daddy, read me a story. Daddy, can we read together? And I love reading with her. And she loves learning how to read. But imagine if my five-year-old daughter said, You know what, Daddy? I'm learning how to read, and I'm going to do it on my own. So she got a book she'd never read before, and she sat down on the sofa, and she opened it up, and she began to look at words she'd never seen before, and she just stared at them until she figured it out. Ultimately, she would become frustrated and bitter and angry because she, she could not do it on her own. And Jesus is saying the same thing to us. She's saying, Jesus is saying, come to me. Come curl up on your heavenly Father's lap and let me teach you how to live the laws that I've called you to live. See, Jesus invites us to come to him. And it's when we come to him that he empowers us to live within the rules, within the laws, within the boundaries that he set up for us. We think that our on-road is to follow rules. Our on-road is to follow Jesus. This whole series is about, it's about a relationship with God, not a relationship with rules. It's about knowing God, not knowing the rules. But as we know God, he empowers us to live out the rules. And this is how Jesus does it. This is where the power comes. And I want to spend the rest of our time together talking about where the power comes from. In John 14, Jesus has predicted his death to his followers, and they are freaking out. Because for three years, they've had God in the flesh walking with them, giving them the power to live the life they were created to live. And now Jesus says, I'm going to die on a cross, I'm going to raise from the dead, and then I'm going to go to heaven to be with my heavenly Father. And the disciples say, well, what about us? How are we going to live a life for you without you? And then Jesus makes this incredible promise, which is a promise to you and it's a promise to me. He says this, I will ask God the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And this advocate, verse 17, is the spirit of truth. It's God's Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But he says, you, my followers, you know him because he lives with you and he will be in you. Jesus says, it's better for me to leave because I can be with you, but my spirit, the spirit of God will live in you every day, all the time. And he's going to be your partner, your advocate, your guide, your leader. He's going to lead you to truth. He's going to show you the life that you were created to live. 
And then Paul, that guy I talked about earlier, in Romans 8, he goes on to answer his question. Remember, he asked, who can save me from this life of sin? In Romans 8, he answers that God can save me. And then he talks about God's Spirit in Romans 8, 11. He says this, if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit that lives in you. Paul says, you know that, that Spirit that Jesus told you about? the one that leads you to truth, the one that lives in you, the one that is your advocate, your partner, your, your leader. He says that spirit is a strong spirit of God. That spirit was so strong that it raised Jesus from the dead. And then Paul goes on to say, so you know those areas of your life that just feel broken and beyond repair? You know those areas of your life where you feel dead because of sin? You know those areas of your life that feel beyond your reach, like you just can't get there. You know where God wants you to go, but you can't get there on your own. You know those areas of life? That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that's living in you can give you the power to experience that kind of life. God gives us rules as boundaries only in the context of relationship, and he doesn't say do it on your own. He says, I'm going to give you my spirit to lead you to truth and to give you the power to live the life that you were created to live. And so I want to give us some ways to engage with the Holy Spirit. And this is where your teaching notes are really going to come in handy. Some ways to engage with the Holy Spirit. This isn't an exhaustive list, and we only have about 10 minutes, so I don't want to take all your time, but I want to give you some ways so you have some tools this week to engage with God. In our followers journal this last week, if you're doing life groups through Not a Fan, you're going through this followers journal. One of the days last week, it asked a probing question. It said, who do you turn to first when you have a question about, and then it listed off things, relationships, money, sex, career, parenting. And I put that on your teaching notes. And here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to look at your spouse or look at your neighbor. Here's what I want you to do. Grab your teaching notes and just do a quick 10-second evaluation. Who do you turn to first? Now, not who would you like to turn to first or who's the right answer, because we talked about this last week. When you're in church, the right answer is always Jesus. We all know that. That's not what we're looking for. Who do you actually turn to first? When you have questions about these things, and just mark it off. Write the person's name down, or if it's Jesus, mark Jesus. Just do a quick 10 second. Who do you turn to first when you have questions? And then just kind of look back up at me when you're done. When you have questions about life, who do you turn to? Now, the Bible's full of examples of times when we should look to people who are following God for insight into what it looks like to follow God. That's a great thing. Community is a great thing. We are all about community at New Life. But I want to tell you this. The best that someone else can do when you go to them, the best they can do is point you back to God. That's the best thing they can do. If you have a question about parenting, the best thing someone can do is point you back to God for an answer about parenting. So instead of going to another person, what if we went to God first? What if we said, I have a question about, uh, about my career. I have a question about sex. I have a question about parenting. I have a question about some area of, I think it might be sin that's sinking my life. What if instead of going to another person, the first thing we did was go to God? If you're open to that, here are some ways to do it. This is what I do in my own life. When I'm trying to connect with God on a topic and I'm wrestling through it, this is what I do. The first thing I do is I pray. The Holy Spirit promises to lead us to truth. So I ask God, I say, Jesus, would you do what you promised? Would you fill me with your spirit in a way that it leads me to truth? I pray. I say, God, I'm about to open up the Bible, and there's a lot of words in there, and there's a lot of rules in there, and there's a lot of stuff I don't understand in there. But as I open it up, would you lead me 
to truth. And then I ask the Holy Spirit to line my heart up with his life, to line my heart up with his heart. Because oftentimes, when our hearts get lined up with God's heart, we get a distaste for the things that are apart from God. I remember being in my late teens and early 20s, and I had a pornography addiction. And I I tried to stop. I tried to stop. I tried to do it all on my own. I'm not going to do this anymore. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. And it was. It was. It was hurting me. But then I started to really deeply engage with God, and I said, God, would you show me your heart for these women that I'm objectifying? And as he began to show me his heart for these women, to remind me that these are people's daughters, to remind me that they might have daughters, to remind me that someday I might have a daughter, man, I grew a distaste for looking at pornography. And it wasn't from trying to follow the rules. It was from growing close to God and allowing his truth to saturate in my heart. So the first thing that we do is we pray and we ask God, would you, would you show me, would you show me your truth and give me your heart? And the second thing we do is we study. We study the Bible. We find out what God says about a topic in the Bible. And I've given you some resources. You can go to BibleGateway.com and do a keyword search. Uh, You can go to your concordance in the back of your Bible and look up keywords. We just find out what God says. We have Bibles everywhere. We have Bibles at our fingertips, on your phone, on your iPad. Some of us even have these ones made out of paper. It's incredible. (laughs) It's retro. I love it. It's coming back in style. I love it. So we pray and ask God to reveal truth to us, and then we get into his word because he said his word is truth. And then the third thing we do is, when I'm trying to figure this out, I pray again. So I pray and ask God to reveal his truth to me. I get into his word because his word is truth. By the way, if you read the Bible and you're trying to figure out what God's saying and you're still confused, that's when you go to another person and ask for insight. But we usually skip God altogether and we try to get insight from other people, and that's that's not helpful. The last thing I do is I pray again, and I ask the Holy Spirit to give me the power to live out the truth that he's showing me. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's the promise of God, that when we have the power of his Holy Spirit, he always gives us a way out. He always gives us the power to do the things he's calling us to do, to live the way he's called us to live. Are rules good? Yeah, rules are good. Rules give us riverbanks with which to swim within the flow of God's plan for our lives. But can we do rules apart from God? No. And it will only leave us feeling hurt and frustrated and bitter. And so the key is we have to engage with the Holy Spirit to experience the life that God created for us. The, guy, the life of a, a follower of God, which I believe we are, we are following God. It's supposed to be a life of abundance. It's supposed to be a life where you're experiencing victory, where you're knowing God's truth and his truth is setting you free because he's giving you the power to live that truth out every day. The life that God calls us to, it's a life of victory over sin the sin that you cannot fix on your own. God's spirit living in you can change. The life that God calls us to is a life where we can say, yes, God, what you say is good, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it with you. Some of us are here right now, and you've, you've never actually entered into a relationship with God. You've heard the rules. You've sung the songs. 
You know on the outside what it's about, but it's never really connected with you because you've never really fully understood what it means to follow God in a relationship where his spirit has the power to change you from the inside out and make you the person that can actually keep God's law. For some of us today, that's the first step, saying yes to Jesus, entering into a personal relationship with him. And in just a second, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you a chance to uh, pray a prayer of commitment, saying yes to God saying yes to the invitation that he's given you to follow after him and to be filled with his, his Holy Spirit and, and to, to be forgiven of your sins. And I know for some of us here, that's what God is calling you to do. So as I talk to the rest of us, I just want you to sit with that. If you've never entered into an, a relationship with God, today could be your day. So just ask yourself the question, am I ready to say yes to God today? Because I can tell you this, God could not love you more than he does right now. He knows you completely. He knows everything from your history past. He knows everything that you're thinking right now. He knows what you're going to do in the future, and he loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you, and he wants to empower you to walk with him every day of your life from this day into eternity. And if you're ready to say yes to him, I want you just to be ready when we go to that time of prayer. For some of us, our next step is to run some area of our life through this filter. Because we've been trying to follow God's laws apart from God. We've been trying to parent apart from God. We've been trying to, to get rid of an area of sin apart from God, and we just can't do it. And we're frustrated, and we're tired, and we're ready to give up. But the promise of God is that when we come to Him, we experience rest for our souls, and we can keep His law. And so I want to challenge you, if you're here today and you know there's some area, it's just kind of rattling in the back of your head, either an area that you want to know what God says about it, my finances, my, my work life, whatever, or it's an area of sin that you just know it's, ah, it's just holding on to me. Take this this week and just run through it every day. Ask God to reveal truth to you. Get into his word and study what he says because his word is truth. And ask him for the power to do what he's called you to do and then, and then do it in the power of God. Do it in the power of God. And if you're going to do that, I want you to grab this connect card, and I want you to mark on the back of it, applying today's teaching, I want you to mark down that you're going to do that. You're going to walk through these steps this week because I want to be praying for you this week. I want to be uh, making sure that you are not alone in this journey, but that I'm lifting you up before God. So would you join me? Let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the reality that we don't have to keep rules apart from you. Thank you for the reality that your law is good and that your rules are good, and therefore our our um, our abundant life, that their family rules meant to keep us safe and to guide us and to guard us and to help us swim within the river of your love. So now we ask, Jesus, that you would do what you've promised to do. As we follow after you, would you make us uniquely aware of the way that your Spirit is already working in our lives? Would you help us to tune into you so that we can walk with you and, and live within the guidelines that you've set for us? Would you help us to see that following after you and keeping your law when it's done with you actually is easy and it moves us to places of finding rest with you? As we continue to pray, if you're here and you've never entered into that personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I'm going to pray a prayer right now. It's just a simple prayer of committing yourself over to God. And you can pray this with me. It's not a magic spell. It's not an incantation. It's just a prayer of commitment where you say yes to God. And the Bible says that God hears that and he will walk with you and he will fill you with his spirit as you come to him. So if you're ready to make that decision, you can whisper this prayer right where you're sitting. You can say, Lord Jesus, today I say yes. Yes, I want this life that you're offering to me. 
Yes, I believe that you walked on this earth and that you died on a cross taking the penalty for my sin so that I could have a relationship with my loving Heavenly Father. And yes, I want to walk with you in life. So would you come, Lord? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.